Yes, all aboard. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. And the train is building up ahead of steam. So grab your ticket. It's free. Get on board. This train will be picking up passengers along the way. Taking you on a sports journey. So, enjoy the ride. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your conductor, Anthony Smith. Anthony Smith here with A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your conductor. Just want to let you know that this podcast is listener supported. That's right, driven by you, the listener, who wants to support. So click on that support button down there. You have three options, 99 cents a month, $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month. We'll get your ad rent on this podcast. So click the support button. Your support will be greatly appreciated. Once again, Anthony Smith with the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Want to enhance your workout? Try the workout bands everyone is talking about. Three different resistance levels. Light, medium, and heavy. Only at www.kakeybums.com That's www.kakeybums.com www.kakeybums.com To enhance your workout, with the resistance bands that everyone is talking about. Hey, what's happening? It's Rick Thomas with Running the Table, and you already know you are on board the A-Train. Hang on for the ride. Welcome into the A Train Sports Talk Podcast. This is your conductor of the train, Anthony Smith, and we have a lot to get to. As you know, last week was the NFL draft, so I'm going to recap that. Might get to it tonight, might not, but there is a story of interest that popped up last week that was probably lost in the shuffle of the NFL draft. And it came out as rookie Michael Jordan versus MVP Kobe Bryant. Did the GOAT have a better rookie season than Kobe's MVP season? So I just want to go ahead and get on into that. So as we see, Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant are the two greatest shooting guards to ever played the game. Their dominance and impact on the game on and off the court were unprecedented and they might be the two most competitive athletes ever. As a result, it is expected that they would be compared to one another. Michael Jordan won six NBA titles as a player, but it took him six years to win his first. It all started out with his 1985 campaign where he had arguably the most dominant rookie season ever. 
Kobe Bryant earned his first and only MVP award in 2008, but many felt it was long overdue. By comparing the rookie campaign of Jordan to the MVP season of Bryant, here is what was deduced. Michael Jordan's rookie season, 28.2 points per game, 6.5 rebounds per game, 5.9 assists per game, 2.4 steals per game, 0.8 BPG, 51.5% field goal, 17.3% three-point field goal, and 84.5% free throw. Michael Jordan's rookie campaign might have been the best ever. To many pundits watching the NBA in 1985, Jordan was already the best player in the world, averaging 28.2 points per game and running away with the rookie of the year. We were in a new era of dominance. Jordan made his first all-star team in 1985 as well, playing all 82 games and completing 38.3 minutes per game played. Clearly, players do not do this anymore. Jordan was near perfection in his rookie campaigns statistically as he was efficient from the floor and dominant on both ends. The only issue was that Jordan failed to win in the first round of the playoffs as a 21-year-old, but the fact that he made it was a massive plus. Kobe Bryant's MVP season, 28.3 points per game, 6.3 rebounds per game, 5.4 PG, 1.8 SPG, 0.5 BPG, 45.9% field goal percentage, 36.1% three-point field goal, 84% free throw. Kobe Bryant was long overdue for an MVP award. Despite scoring 81 points and carrying arguably the worst Lakers team every season in 2006, he couldn't win MVP over Steve Nash. Nash had a better team record, but Kobe was the best player in the league. Bryant had similar numbers to rookie Michael Jordan. He averaged 28.3 points per game and shot a decent clip from the field for a gunner like Bryant. What stands out the most was Bryant's proficiency from deep, which massively usurps Jordan's shooting. Of course, the league didn't find the three-point shoot relevant in the 80s than they do in the 2000s, so that makes sense. Bryant made the NBA Finals in 2008 running into a super team, a super team Celtics squad with Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. It was an impressive season for the MVP, and he would earn his dues the next two years by winning back-to-back championships. Was rookie MJ better than MVP Kobe? The answer is yes, no, maybe. In all seriousness, it is very close, but the edge goes to the Mamba. Jordan had similar stats to Kobe Bryant, but he was only a rookie. Jordan was already the best player in the game at 21 years old, while MVP Kobe was in his prime at 29 years of age. Kobe had more time under his belt, and that's why he made the NBA Finals as an experienced player. Michael Jordan deserves a ton of credit for putting up the stats and making an all-star team 
in his first year, but he didn't have the team success that Bryant had. Therefore, the answer of who had a better season has to go to the more successful star. Jordan put up similar numbers to a prime Kobe as a rookie, but Kobe had more success in the postseason. Making the finals is no easy task, and Bryant's magical year earned him that spot against one of the best teams over the past 20 years. Conclusion In conclusion, Michael Jordan is the greatest player of all time. While Kobe and Jordan's stats were similar in their campaigns, the fact that Jordan accomplished what he did as a rookie is unparalleled. It can be argued that Kobe Bryant's MVP season was better than Jordan's rookie season, but the comparison itself lends itself to Jordan being the best ever. Bryant is widely considered a top 10 player of all time, and Jordan's rookie season is being compared to his MVP campaign. That is extraordinary, and the comparison can be summed up like this. Kobe won the battle. Jordan won the war. Jordan used his rookie season to become the best player ever, whereas Kobe's MVP season was apex. The GOAT gets the last laugh, but Kobe had the better campaign in this comparison. So there is laid out. Those of you who listen to this, you can form your opinions. Everything is laid out. Where it says here, Kobe won the battle. Jordan won the war. My question is, is there a thin line between the battle and the war? Kobe versus MJ. Hope you find that entertaining. And hope to get some feedback. Leave a comment. I'll be glad to hear it. So what I'm going to do now, I'm going to go ahead and take a break. Let this marinate. Let this digest. Like I said, I'd be glad to hear your comments. So I will be back for another segment after this word from my sponsor. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your conductor, Anthony Smith. Hey, what's happening? It's Rick Thomas with Running the Table, and you already know you are on board the A-Train. Hang on for the ride. Welcome back to my next segment, and I'm going to hit up a little bit on the NFL draft and some of the takeaways from it. Uh, have a sound clip here. So what we're going to do, we're going to listen at that first, and then we're going to get into the NFL draft 2021 takeaways on this short abbreviated podcast and I would try to do my best to be with you this week and probably drop a daily podcast to bring you up to speed on the draft that took place last week some of the takeaways some of the surprises because there were some surprises we will even talk a little bit about the mess that's going on in Cheese County yes we're talking about Green Bay Packers Aaron Rodgers. Why would Aaron Rodgers take that day 
for that information to leak out. And what's going to become? Where will Rodgers be playing at? Will he be in Green Bay? Green Bay is very adamant about not trading Rodgers. But I'm reminded of the words of a WWF. That's what we called it back in the day. A guy by the name of the Million Dollar Man named Ted DiBiase. Some of y'all might remember that. Some of y'all youngsters probably like, who the heck is he talking about? But he had a catchphrase. It went like this. Everybody has a price. So what it boils down to is who's bluffing who? Are the Packers bluffing Aaron Rodgers or is Aaron Rodgers bluffing the Packers? It seems Aaron Rodgers is adamant about not putting on a Green Bay uniform. Not wanting to be in Green Bay. Change of scenery. I want out or I will not play. There's talk that, hey, he can go get $10, $15 million a year to host Jeopardy. So those will be some of the things that we'll talk about definitely this week. But right now, once again, let's get into this NFL Draft 2021 takeaways. The QB rush continues plus lingering questions and top surprises. So let's play this sound clip and then we will get into this story. Hugs to you guys from the land. Sports Center on the Road is presented by Rocket Mortgage. And as you said, what a night it was last night. On a surprise for you, what was a, a team that surprised you with their pick? Well, I think they do it every year now. We should just start expecting it. That's the Las Vegas Raiders. They could change the city. The picks stay the same. Last year, they surprised us by drafting Damon Arnett in the first round. This year, it was Alex Leatherwood, the offensive tackle from Alabama. Alex Leatherwood's a good player. I thought he was a second or third rounder, though. I know a lot of NFL teams believe he is a guard at the next level, not a tackle. The Raiders have a need at right tackle. They apparently think that Alex Leatherwood's going to be their guy. Again, he's a good player, especially in the run game, very experienced all over the Alabama offensive line. But I think his technique is a little bit deficient right now. Where he's going to have to clean a lot up. I know Tom Cable's a heck of an offensive line coach for the Raiders, Marcus, but this to me was a surprise pick in round one. That's absolutely what they betted on Tom Cable. The surprise to me was J.C. Horn to the Carolina Panthers. It's not a surprise that he went this high. He's a phenomenal football player. But after talking about Carolina possibly being in the in the quarterback conversation or the left tackle spot where you expected them to try to solidify that up front, they go corner, which was a need. And listen, if you can get a player like J.C. Horn as a need right. and it goes against what everybody conventionally thought you were going to do, Kudos to Carolina. They got the best corner in the draft. They took him at eight, and he's going to ball out and make this team better. And look, Matt Rule, for for all of the talk about Sam Darnold and the offense in Carolina, Matt Rule wants to play defense. Yes, you have that right there. So what can we look at here? Well, by most measures, NFL offenses last year produced their best season in the history of pro football. Never had the collective environment been more conducive to scoring, especially via the pass. And new records were set for points, touchdown throws, and completion percentage. So after taking three months to analyze their rosters and project trends, decision makers voiced a full-throated response during the 2021 NFL Draft. We need more. Teams loaded up on quarterbacks, receivers, and offensive linemen during the early portions of the three-day affair. 
Never had there been more passers, eight, or offensive tackles, 14, selected during the first three rounds. The total of 15 receivers drafted over that period was tied for fourth most since the common draft era began in 1967. A reasonable person might suggest a focus on defensive players to counter the trend, but there has been nothing equitable or organic about the NFL's shift toward the past over the decades. The 2020 season produced a new twist, a significant increase in tolerance for offensive holding, and most decision makers accept that the league is willing and able to maintain the inherent competitive imbalance between the two sides of the ball. General managers dipped into a deep cornerback class, drafting a record 16 of them through the first three rounds. But let's face it, by the end of the second round, they had moved on to snatching backup quarterback prospects. No lie, a many run on passers between pick numbers 64 and 67 crystallized how far the league had shifted. NFL quarterback curation has undergone a massive swing during the past few decades, most moving almost exclusively to the first round of the draft. In 2020, 80% of teams played at least one quarterback who was originally a first-round pick, according to Elias Sports Bureau research. A similar percentage can be projected for 2021. This draft's top five quarterbacks, Trevor Lawrence, Jacksonville, Zach Wilson, New York Jets, Trey Lance, San Francisco 49ers, Justin Fields, Chicago Bears, and Mac Jones, New England Patriots, all sailed off the board before the midpoint of the first round. History tells us that some of them will fail, but the now annual stampede to corral anyone who might have a chance to succeed ensures bleak odds of finding a good starter at any point afterward. Of the past 36 quarterbacks drafted in the second or third rounds, dating to 2006, only four have made the Pro Bowl. Tampa Bay Buccaneers fans can dream all they want about a moment when Kyle Trask, number 64 overall, takes over for starter Tom Brady. The Minnesota Vikings can certainly hope that Kellen Mond, number 66, might one day challenge Kirk Cousins. And the Houston Texans might well love Davis Mills, number 67. But based on recent trends, ESPN analytics suggests there is no more than an 11% chance that any of them will become a starter, much less someone who can win games. For all practical purposes, That means the Buccaneers, Vikings, and Texans all drafted backups in spots where teams historically have expected to find starters at any other position. We would all be smarter and less disappointed in the coming years if we viewed them through that lens. High-end starters such as the Seattle Seahawks' Russell Wilson, drafted in the 2012 third round, are the rare exception. Brady, famously selected by the Patriots in the sixth round of the 2000 draft, is a relic of long-gone roster-building structure. The NFL has moved so far toward the passing game that backup quarterbacks are worth more draft capital than all but the best defensive prospect.
So goes a big takeaway from the 2021 draft, which largely returned to its traditional format after a homebound detour in 2020. Commissioner Roger Goodell's iconic leather chair traveled with him to a stage constructed off Lake Erie in Cleveland, but the thousands of masked fans and celebrity appearances signal the NFL's continued emergence from COVID-19 protocol. What follows are the remainder of my thoughts on this draft in rapid-fire fashion. Fact, Jaguars coach Urban Meyer has won everywhere he has coached, except the NFL, where he has never coached. Opinion, he'll struggle to win at this level if he thinks that loading up on running backs is smart team building. Running back Travis Etienne, selected number 25 overall, will join a backfield that already includes 1,000-yard rusher James Robinson and newly signed veteran Carlos Hyde. Meyer said he envisions Etienne in the kind of hybrid role that Percy Harvin filled for him at Florida and later in the NFL. But as exciting as Etienne is, that's an incredibly high bar to reach at the pro level. Harvin was one of the most explosive athletes in a generation of pro football. Fact, New York Giants general manager Dave Gettleman traded down for the first time in his career as a GM. He actually did it multiple times, including in the first round when he ultimately drafted receiver Kadarius Toney at number 20 overall. Opinion, I'm going to stop short of awarding him a Nobel Prize, but accepting a lower value now in exchange for more value next year at a time when his tenure with the Giants might depend on how much improved 2021 season is admirable. You would be fooling yourself to think every general manager would do it. You might even call it noble. Fact, a great meme circulated on social media on whether the Bengals should give quarterback Joe Burrow another receiving weapon or better pass protection in round one. Opinion, I'll argue that the decision wasn't as obvious as some would suggest. Receiver Jamar Chase will be a big-time playmaker, and Penny Sewell will be a really good offensive tackle. The Bengals decided on Chase to reunite with Burrow, his college teammate, and then circled back and used a second-round pick to select tackle Jackson Carmen while continuing to attack the position later in the draft. Ultimately, though, I would have taken Sewell. The drop from the first offensive lineman off the board, Sewell, to Carmen, 10th, was bigger than the drop from Chase to whichever receiver the Bengals might have focused on in the second round. I didn't leave this draft with much more confidence in Burrow's safety than I did when it began. Fact, number 11 overall pick Justin Fields is the Bears' most exciting quarterback prospect in a generation, and maybe longer. A full account of resources General Manager Ryan Pace has used to acquire potential starting quarterbacks during his tenure is staggering. The Bears used a total of nine draft picks to maneuver for and select Mitch Trubisky in 2017 and later Fields. It required a fourth-round pick to acquire veteran Nick Foles from Jacksonville Jaguars. And Foles, Mike Glennon, Chase Daniel, and Andy Dalton will have earned at least $44.5 million between 2017 and 2021. 
That's on top of the $29 million the Bears paid Trubisky, and he roughly, $19 million, they will have to guarantee fields. So, how does one feel about Justin Fields? Well, here are comments from why David Polak feels bad for Justin Fields. Did you know Geico could save you hundreds on car insurance and more? So what do you want? Well, we will have that audio for you here in a few seconds. So just bear with me as I get this audio pulled up right now. criticism of Fields was, how could he not even beat out Jake Fromm in Georgia in terms of why people felt like he was falling? What do you make of this move by the Bears? Yeah, we had to cry a lot um, about Justin Fields leaving Georgia. Uh, <laughs> listen, I, I think that when you look at this situation, we talked about it all leading up to the draft, and a situations and fits make a big difference. I feel bad for Justin Fields. Like, this, this situation, is, this is where quarterbacks have gone to die. Like, you look at Chicago, there hasn't been a lot of success. And the bad thing is, though, you show that clip of pace and you show him saying, this is our quarterback. I can rewind to several drafts ago, and I got the same thing about Mitchell Trubisky mm-hmm. and him being our guy. So this isn't an easy situation for Justin Fields to go into. I definitely don't think this is a situation where he comes in and he's going to light it up and prove everybody wrong that he slid down and he was the fourth quarterback taken. It's going to be a tough, tough Tough job for Justin Fields to go to Chicago and win. Wow. And that is what is thought of for Justin Fields. My. Well, here's another fact. ESPN college football analyst Paul Feinbaum said this of Patriots coach general manager Bill Belichick. I see him getting lazy late in his career. Opinion. Belichick has a long history of zigging when the rest of the league is zagging. And that includes trusting the word of an electric group of unofficial advisors. Alabama coach Nick Saban is one of them. And Belichick drafted Crimson Tides players with his first two picks this year. Quarterback Mac Jones and defensive tackle Christian Barmore. But Belichick is approaching the line between listening to smart football people and outsourcing his draft operation. All told, Belichick has drafted 12 Saban coach players during his tenure with the Patriots, the most between any pro college coach combination in the common draft era. Fact. Commissioner Goodell once again encouraged fans to boo him throughout the draft. I didn't come out of my basement for nothing, he said Thursday night. Opinion, we must stay strong with my annual plea to protect the boo as an unironic expression of displeasure. Any attempt to co-opt the boo as a term of sarcastic endearment must be stopped. Fact, Rams placed a portrait of Goodell on a wall of their draft house in Malibu, California. Yes, the Rams had a draft house. 
opinion. We can debate the quality of the Rams' on-field performance in recent years, but it's hard not to admire their organizational sense of humor. After all, this is the same team that personalizes contract officers with plane drones and references to jersey numbers with the occasional Haku mixed in as well. Fact, the Cowboys' first six picks were defensive players, including linebacker Micah Parsons, in the first round. Opinion, it wasn't excessive. To put it kindly, there was a disconnect last season between the Cowboys' defensive scheme and their personnel strategy. They have a half dozen new players to match with their new coordinator, Dan Quinn. While the rest of the league worked to evaluate their passing game, the Cowboys knew they could not possibly field an offense that could keep up with their defense, keep up with what their defense allowed last year. Among many issues, the Cowboys allowed at least 30 points in half of their games. Facts. Seven of the 32 first-round picks opted out of the 2020 college season because of COVID-19 pandemic. Despite a scattered, despite a few scattered comments from general managers in the weeks leading up to the draft, it was always difficult to believe that they would pass up on really talented players because of an opt-out. A total of eight opt-out players were among the 50 best players in this draft, and all but one were gone when the second round began. That list includes Chase, number five to the Bengals, Sewell, number seven to the Lions, Parsons, number 12, to the Cowboys, and tackle Rashawn Slater, number 13, to the Los Angeles Chargers. Fact, the Baltimore Ravens drafted receiver Rashad Bateman at number 27 overall, giving quarterback Lamar Jackson a target who could be a true number one receiver. Bateman was one of my favorite players in this draft. Big 10 receivers don't get much attention, but he is smart, polished, much faster than you think, and ready to counter whatever defenses throw his way. With all that said, however, I'm not sure fantasy managers should make a big bet on him. Over the past three seasons, the Ravens have thrown fewer passes than all but one team. Bateman will make them better, but will it take them away from the run-based offense they've employed since Jackson ascended to the starting job? Fact, the Detroit Lions had a fun draft. From their aggressive celebration after drafting Sewell to defensive tackle Levi Unwazurik's profanity lays declaration about the way he hits people at the line of scrimmage. It was physically impossible for Lions fans to avoid smiling at some point over the course of the weekend. When viewed in the context of new coach Dan Campbell's state desire to bite kneecaps, it's pretty clear that the Lions won't take themselves too seriously. They'll have some energy, which is always the first building block in improving a team. They're already ahead of where they were at the start of the Matt Patricia regime and was 
cold and lifeless from the start. So what I'm going to do right here, I am going to go ahead and bring this session to an end. But I will be back tomorrow for some more look at the NFL draft. This was just a little appetizer to whet your appetite. And I hope you have enjoyed it. So this is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast with your conductor, Anthony Smith, pulling into the station until tomorrow. Until then, take care of yourself and each other. This is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast signing off.